Well, anyways, open up to Matthew, please. Chapter 26. We're going to be picking up in verse 30. Matthew 26, verse 30. I want to thank you for Pat Evanick for sharing last week. Thank you so much for stepping in with me. I, um, you know, Saturday I finished my message, had it on the desk. I'm like, yes, done early. But as I was finishing, I started to feel shaky and uh, got a fever. So I just said shaky and a fever. So I decided not to share that with you. I know it's selfless and wonderful, but uh, yeah. So stayed home and then, well, John had it the week before on, on a Monday. And then I ended up getting it on a Saturday and then Ruth has it now. So we're going through it. It's pretty fun. Uh, so you can pray for our family. Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We left off last week with Jesus um, in the upper room with his disciples in Jerusalem. Obviously they're eating the Passover meal. We went over that. And it's during this meal that Je Jesus tells his disciples there in, in verse 20 uh, that one of them would betray him. I mean, big shocker. They all began asking, is it I rabbi? Is it, is it I? And when Judas asked Jesus finally uh, hypocritically, if it was him knowing full well, he had already done the deal with the, the high priests and all that type of stuff. He already had the money. You know, um, Jesus said to him, verse 35, uh, you have, you've said, so it's you, you, you know, it, you know, what's going on. And we know from John's account that at that point, Satan enters Judas and Judas, uh, Jesus says to Judas or Satan, whoever he's talking to there, he says, Hey, you know what, what you're going to do, go do quickly. And then John, that chapter ends with saying, and it was night. He left and it was night. And so very dark, um, scene there in John chapter 13 and in Matthew here, 26. And with Judas now out of the room, Jesus then transitions to the true believers. He's hanging out with the ones who are, are his, his sheep. And, uh, as they are gathered together, Judas is now gathering the soldiers. He's gathering the temple guard who he's going to then grab and bring and lead to Gethsemane where Jesus is going to be shortly. And while that's happening, Jesus institutes what we know as communion. And he takes the bread and, and, and signifies that it's his body that's broken and his blood, the sign of the new covenant. The covenants were ratified through blood, but it wasn't through an animal like the old covenant it was through the blood of the son. And so it's his blood that makes us have a relationship with the father, gives us access to the father. And it's as simple as that through his death on the cross, through faith in his death on the cross. And at the end of the meal in verse 30, Jesus tells uh, Jesus said they all sung a hymn. And so, Hey, that's new. Jesus sang. He, he sung and the disciples sang, and that's awesome. Well, what were they singing? They're probably singing uh, the Hallel Psalms, the Psalms of praise, which were Psalms 113 through 118, which were sung during the Passover meal. And they probably finished up on Psalm 118. That's a guess, but uh, Psalm 118 uh, is an awesome one. And I would encourage you, especially this week, the week of Thanksgiving to go meditate on, on it with you and your family. Psalm 118 begins, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. That's a good, awesome reason to be thankfulness for his steadfast love. Sometimes is there. It's not really steadfast. Is that what it says? Steadfast love endures. How long? Man. Let Israel say so. Let the house of Aaron say so. Let all the people say so. God is faithful and he is good and his mercy endures forever. And 
It's in the closing verse, by the way, of Psalm 118, very fitting verses 25 through 29. Let's read it for you. It says, save us, we pray. And I think that's the Hosanna cry there that the passion week began with save us. We pray, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus said, I will not see you again until you say these words. And that's later on. But um, he says, we bless you from the house of the Lord. Verse 27, the Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And those closing verses of the Psalms of praise focus on binding the sacrifice to the altar. And here Jesus is singing this song, knowing that he is the sacrifice that is going to be bound to the altar, similar to what happened to Abraham 2000 years ago, Abraham's son, Abraham and his son, Isaac on that very spot on Mount Moriah where he took his son, his one and only son who took, bore the wood on his back, brought him to a place and he bound him and was about to bring down the knife. When God said, stop, I'll provide for myself a sacrifice. Here's the sacrifice, his one and only son. And so, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. How can his steadfast love endure forever through him? through Jesus Christ, through his shed blood on our behalf, not because of our works. And so they most likely sang song 118. And for one final night, they left the city proper there and they made their way up to uh, Gethsemane, the garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. They're just on the hill and Jesus knowing what was about to happen. He begins to tell his disciples what was going to unfold for them. In verse 31, where we're picking up here, it says, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the flock will be scattered. If you're a note taker, that's Zechariah 13, seven. That's a prophecy. So Jesus knows what's going to happen to his disciples before it happens. And I don't know how God works. He knows what they would do or whether, you know, the preordained and all that kind of stuff. I'm not getting into that, but what happened is Zechariah quoted this 520 years earlier. That's a long time folks before America existed getting uh, quoted about what's going to happen with uh, 11 guys there. So here it is. He says, you're going to be struck. Jesus says, Hey, you're going to all, you're going to leave because of me. You're going to, you're going to go away. Jesus knew that when this started shortly, when he was going to be begin to be struck in just an hour or so, as it, that process began, they would abandon him. After everything, all the years that they had been together, all the times they had spent, um, everything they'd seen, everything they experienced, the faithfulness of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the power of Jesus, watching him walk on water, watching him raise the dead, watching him heal lepers, cast out demons, all the things that he was doing, they would abandon him. That just seems like unreal, doesn't it? And nevertheless, 
Jesus sets his face towards the will of the father. They abandon, but he continues. And this tells the story of us, doesn't it? And so they'd all leave him according to this prophecy, but Jesus immediately follows that up by the way, lest we get discouraged, lest they get discouraged with verse 32. I love the hope. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. I love that. Jesus always gives them the big picture. He keeps giving them the, the you know, Hey, this is, you're going to leave me, but I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm going to gather you to myself. I love the Lord. And as Jesus would die, they would scatter. He would rise again and he'd go to them in Galilee. We're going to see that play out here. Although they would have a lapse in faithfulness, he would not. And he was faithful to them. Give thanks to the Lord. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> for his loving kindness endures forever. Uh, that's encouraging. So Jesus lays it all out for them there in verse 33 and, and uh, uh, 32. And then verse 33, Hey, who do we, who do we see pop in here? And Peter answers him. I don't know how you answer a statement, but it's, he's answering a statement. He's, he's answering Jesus. Jesus is telling them what's going to happen. He goes, yeah, but though they all fall away because of you, <laughs> who's they all probably the disciples that are right there. <laughs> though they all fall away. I will never fall away. I love Peter. Now, if you know if anything about Peter is Peter lying. No, he's absolutely sincere. I think Peter is, he is, he loves the Lord. Doesn't he? I mean, he's first out on the boat. Like he falls in the water. He's just captain foot and mouth. We know this, but <laughs> he had zero intent of abandoning Jesus. And we know that because he will soon pull out a sword. He's absolutely 100% desiring to follow Jesus. I don't think his intentions are ruined or are, are misaligned whatsoever, but one fatal flaw that Peter had is that Peter was trusting in his flesh and Jesus knew that about Peter and Peter didn't know that about himself. And Jesus responds to him in verse 34 with the truth. He says, Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And this becomes a theme in Peter's life and how the Lord communicates with Peter in, in, in threes and stuff like that. Now, this did not compute with Peter. Uh, no, uh, yeah, this did not compute. And he decides to argue with the Lord. You know, that's not wise because when we argue with the Lord, we're wrong and we're wrong. And so verse 35, Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not, not deny you. And you got to take him at his word. This is exactly what he felt. This is exactly what he, he was thinking. This is exactly who he was. He loved Jesus. Jesus came, grabbed him on the shore and his life was changed and he's been following him. And he's like, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. How many of you are like, I'm with you, Jesus. Like, I love you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to betray you. You've been faithful to me. You've been so good my whole life. All these things. How many of us, anyone in this room, please say yes and raise your hand. I'm not tricking you. <clears throat> Although you know where this is going. 
Peter said, e- even if I have to die, I'm not going to deny you. I'm ready to die for you, Lord, and with you. And it seems Peter just, you know, he just threw the rest of them under the bus, but they're listening to Peter. He seemed to be a spokesman for him. And they're all, well, us too. You know, they're like, they're not going to, you know, he put them in a weird position. He's just like, they're like, yeah, we're in. We're all with you. Got 11 guys willing to die for Jesus. And so they all jump in and reaffirm their loyalty. Us too. So why are they wrong? It's a good question. What does Jesus know about them? I've already kind of answered it, but what does Jesus know about them in their inner workings that they clearly cannot see in themselves? They're devoted. They're passionate. They're committed. They're obedient. A lot of the time, apparently desiring to be, go to the, go to death, you know, to die for the Lord with the Lord. Are these people you would not want to have around you? Well, we're going to see what was wrong. Verse 36. It's going to be a bit, but Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. So they head out, they're going up the hill there to Gethsemane and he's there. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And Gethsemane was an area at the foot of the Mount of Olives there. So you have Jerusalem, the city, and then it goes down in this little valley and it pops back up. And there's basically on the Eastern side there. And there's a hill full of graves right now, but a hill. And at the, at the base of that on one side is a, is an olive grove called Gethsemane. And there's still some maybe residual generations of olive trees that used to be there. I have, there's a historical site there, but Regardless, the word Gethsemane means uh, basically a place where uh, it means an oil press. That's kind of what it means. And how you make olive oil is you crush olives, right? And we know first press and all that kind of stuff. If you get into olive, if you're an olive oil connoisseur, but the idea is that great force is exerted on the olive to squish out the goodness, you know, so to speak. And what we're going to see here is that Jesus comes to a spiritual Gethsemane where he is about to be crushed. In what way? The hour of trial is now on Jesus and we see what Jesus does as he is being crushed. And, And at the beginning of this, he tells his disciples to wait while he goes a stone's throw away and begins to pray to the father but he does something interesting as he does. So he has the, has the 11. He says, wait here while I go and pray. And then we find out in verse 37 and taking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So he takes the three future leaders of the church and pulls them out from among the disciples. And he says, you come with me a little further. And they're going to get a firsthand account of very close of what Jesus is experiencing in this moment. So he takes takes Peter, James, and John with him and they are with him. And they're, they are the ones who get to see this crushing that happens with the Lord. Well, kind of verse 38. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. Even to death remain here and watch with me. 
Jesus knows what's going on. He's been telling them they're not listening. He grabs them, brings them up to the hill where they could be alone for that last night. And what does Jesus start to do in his moment of trial of crushing? He begins to pray. He seeks the father and he takes with him three of the 12. He told them that the, the group watch and pray it's, it's implied. And then he takes the three close says, you watch and pray with me. And then he starts to tell them, listen, my soul is overwhelmed. He begins to pour out his heart of what's going on in him to them in a very intimate way. Listen, I'm being crushed. This is overwhelming. Remain here and watch with me. Wake up. Oh, did I get, sorry. Was I rude? <laughs> See what I'm talking about? The word there for sorrow unto death is a sorrow that leads unto death. That's it's hard to translate. An overwhelming sorrow. Any of you been so sad, so overwhelmed by sorrow, you just want to sleep. So depressed. So this is the, the, what Jesus is experiencing here, this overwhelming soul crushing sorrow. And we'll see why, but he tells Peter, James, and John, watch with me, watch with me, stay here, stay awake, watch, be vigilant, pray, do what I'm doing. You're going to watch me as I get crushed. You're going to need to know this because you're going to be leading people. And you're going to need to teach them to do the same. Watch with me. Pray. So he's modeling it and he's telling them what to do for the moment of trial that's coming upon them. Verse 39 and going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, the reason for his sorrow for it was because he had to drink a cup. What cup was that? The cup of his father's wrath. That's the cup he's going to have to drink. Paul would say of this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, if you're taking notes. For our sake, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he, the father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God kind of weird, but what happened is God is making his son become sin for us that we might become righteous. There's a transaction that is happening here, a crushing that's happening with this soul. And this is what he's, he's, he's vexed about. No doubt. It's, you know, we can, we, we can only relate basically on the, the physical realm. I don't want to face death. No doubt that was going on, but here is a holy the Holy son of God who had never experienced sin in his life, never had a, had a moment where he was not in relationship with the father from all eternity past. And the, and here what's going to happen is that he is going to become sin. What does that mean? That the father would impute our account of sin upon him and treat him as if he were us. Wrath and judgment. 
And Jesus looked at that and that breaking as we saw expressed on the cross, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? It's not an, it's not an intellectual understanding of, he knew what was going on. Jesus knew he's just saying, I've become the hire of your wrath. That was the cup and the cross was the place. And because Jesus obediently and willingly became sin on our behalf with our debt being paid fully through his death, fully through his death, not partially, absolutely fully all the things we've done and ever will do. Through faith in him were paid on his through the son. He was the innocent for the guilty. The father then, because his wrath was satisfied, it was paid. Jesus said to tell us thy paid in full on the cross because it was paid in full. Your sin, my sin was paid in full. God then could now give us Christ's righteousness. He could take what was in Christ's account, his righteousness and put it in our account. He imputed that that's not earned. You got to understand there's, there's zero earning in any of that. That's just an act of God's absolute mercy upon us. And that for God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever, how do I receive that transaction? Whoever believes, I believe that he paid my debt. And I believe that his righteousness got transferred to me. How does that happen? What did I do to nothing? I believe in his finished work. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what makes you a Christian period faith in Jesus Christ. He loves you. How much have you sinned? He loves you. How deep are you in? He loves you. How much that much? The innocent for the guilty receive it. Say, thank you. Believe it and let him change you. And so the weight of this moment was crushing Jesus church. And that's the cup, the cup of the father's wrath poured out on the son for him. And Jesus prays in verse 39. And by the way, that's represented as death. And obviously the disciples would follow in a way in drinking that cup. As we talk about with John and Peter and others, he says to Peter, this like somewhere in here, he says, you can't follow me where I'm going, but you will follow me. He says to John, Hey, can you drink the cup that I can drink? It's like, Oh yeah, we can drink the cup. He says, you will, but you won't. There's a cup that's his <laughs> and his alone to drink. This is the cup that he's weighing about, but they would all follow him in his death or most all of them. And we see a window here into our redemption, the son willing to obey the father to death. He's just said, not my will, but your will. And so Jesus's will was that he would never 
have broken that relationship with the father in that way. He would never have wanted that. Hey, let's just throw this away. <laughs> There's something greater. He delight. He delighted to do the will of the father. He delighted in seeing past for the joy set before him. He knew he's, as we're going to see this worked out, he's going to see the pain of the cup, but he's going to look beyond it. He's going to go, let's do it. Let's do it. And it was Jesus's delight, his deepest desire to fulfill his father's will. So after praying that first time, man, can you imagine that prayer? That's a huge prayer. That's a big moment. You're going to die. You're going to get crushed. And it's not just, I'm going to die, but I'm going to die for, I'm going to have the sins of the world put upon me. Well, what happens? Verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Very encouraging. He said to Peter, so you could not watch with me for one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into what? Into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing. That's not the problem, but what? The flesh is weak. And this is really, really, really important. And I'm still learning this. Sorry. And Here's what Jesus knew about Peter that Peter did not know about himself and the guys that although Peter's spirit was willing to resist temptation, to follow Jesus, to be at church every Sunday, to pray, to be in each other's lives, to be an active member in the body of Christ, to use their gifts and to receive the gifts and all these things. There was just a, a willingness. I want to be a part of this. I want to follow you. I want to do all that you said. I want to read your Bible every morning and night and day and do all the things you lay out. I want to do this. Anybody else? Amen. Yes. Yet Peter's flesh was weak. He was unable to do what God had called him to do because of his flesh. He couldn't even pray for one hour. One hour. And I know it was a hard night for them. And we're going to get into that. Peter, James, and John's were trusting in their flesh. Jesus knew it. They did not. He could see it. And we often do the same thing. If we take a really hard look at ourselves or even a soft look, how many of us see what God says? And, and we say, we're going to obey. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow you. And how many of you, how long does it take you before you've got, you know, you're, and you got stuck on, you know, you're just, you're spiritually out of it. How long does it take you? Anybody? I'm more spiritual than you. I've got 16 minutes. So, <laughs> you know, we compare to one another, to our sleepiness, you know, and we all desire to be that church that God's called us to be. And the enemy just plays on us. Doesn't he gets in there and goes, Oh, you just stink. You're like, you're still, you're asleep again. Oh, well, the whole time he's like putting on the soft music and the background fan. And he's like, go to sleep. Right? Is that not what he's doing? How many of you want to witness to your neighbors and be a witness? I mean, it's like your intention to, to, to live for Jesus. And yet you just, you want to stand for Jesus in this dark hour. How many of you want to stand for Christ and do it with a good spirit and not be dumb? Anyone? You know, it would be a, 
only to find ourselves the next moment asleep. What's going on there? Why? Well, Jesus says clearly the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And herein lies the war within every heart of a believer. This is the war. Every one of us who knows and loves Jesus, we have a war who've been born again, who have a spirit within him. We have a war between the flesh and the spirit going on. And we often see that war manifest in intentions, but no power. How many of you would say this morning, I have intentions, but no power. I have intentions, but no power. And that defines your Christian life. Like Paul says in Romans 7, 18 through 19, we all can underline this and probably have a tattoo of this on our arm. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. <laughs> For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Yeah? He's not making excuses. He's telling you what's going on. So Peter wanted spiritual things. The guys wanted spiritual things. They wanted to do what's right in the moment, but they had an inability to do it because the flesh was stronger than the spirit. It's Ephesians two. You were dead. Unable to do anything. Until Christ made you alive. But then when he makes you alive and his spirit is in there, you've got to learn to follow him. You've got to learn to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him daily. You've got to follow Jesus just as he followed the father. Does that make sense? You've got to learn not to fall asleep in the garden of Gethsemane. Well, how do you learn? Well, you fall asleep and Jesus teaches you and tells you to wake up over and over and over. Anybody else in this cycle? Can anyone relate? And so God mercifully has to show Peter and the guys what they could not see that they cannot trust in the flesh. And so they failed big time and they got discouraged. Peter ran away greatly sorrowful. We're going to see here. Anybody else like that? Take heart. Their power over temptation cannot come through the flesh, but only through his spirit. And Jesus gives them the antidote for their flesh. And you cannot translate these things as works. They are not works. It's obedience. Jesus tells them this, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Jesus told them that you do not enter watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. That tells you that if you're watching and praying, the temptation is going to be more difficult to enter into. There's a direct correlation to our powerlessness and prayerlessness. Thank you, Scott, for preaching on that. There is a direct correlation from powerlessness to prayerlessness. And I can personally tell you that I've seen it in all of you and not in me. <laughs> not true. Anyone else struggle with that? 
Yeah. Notice that Jesus is the example. He is watching and praying in this moment, isn't he? He is watching and praying and he's going to become victorious. He's modeling it. And Jesus wants the guys to see what he's doing and mimic him in his relationship with the father. Watch and pray with me. You're going to be leading the church. You're going to be leading the church. And here we are looking at this. You are accountable brothers and sisters. Look at Jesus here. So Jesus tells Peter and James and John to watch and pray, but they fell asleep. They gave into the flesh. And so Jesus tells them, wake up, <laughs> watch and pray. Unless you enter temptation, Jesus wakes them up. God is merciful to us. He comes and wakes us up. That's why I was yelling, wake up. I didn't know if you were asleep or not. I was just like, <laughs> wake up. You know, I was like, that's what I'm talking about here. Like, wake up. Come on church. Wake up. Wake up from the stupor and, and he reminds us to re-engage with him and reattach to him, right? Start praying again. Start watching. He wakes us up. Has God been trying to wake you up through various things? So there's an act of obedience that Jesus is calling them to. Obedience is faith. There's an act of faith he's calling them to. And he says, Hey, you want to have power over the temptation that's coming? The moment of trial that's coming upon you, man, you watch and pray just like me. See, I'm going to overcome because I am watching and I am praying. You do the same thing. Do what I'm doing. Watch and pray, seek the father. And we're going to see that Jesus is supernaturally empowered by an angel just as he was in the temptations, as he resisted the flesh and sought the spirit. So God encouraged him and strengthened him in the spirit. That's where the power comes from. There's a spiritual dynamic that happens in us that we need, or we are going to wither and die. It can't come by the organizing of our armies and our thoughts and our just... comes by leaning into him, trusting him, seeking him, praying him in the moment to have power and victory over temptation. The flesh must be subject to the spirit of God where the flesh will win. And Jesus tells them how to have victory over the flesh, to be spiritually vigilant. That's watch and to seek the father's help, uh, pray his will. Got to pray, watch and pray. And again, verse 42, for the second time he went and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, Unless I drink it, your will be done. Here's the point. There is no other way to redeem you and me. Three times Jesus is going to pray this and they got the same answer three times. There is no other way. Jesus had to go to the cross. There is no other way that men can be saved. It is alone through Jesus Christ, period. And Jesus says, if this can't pass till I drink it, your will be done. It was the father's will. And so here Jesus again is praying according to the father's will. He's praying what he doesn't necessarily want to happen in the flesh, but the spirit wants it to happen. Have you gotten there in your prayer life? You can tell when it happens, when we begin to get past the mundane things, not that we don't pray for our dogs and our Ruth sick right now. We pray for it. We do that. Those are acts of love. I'm not saying that's immature. That's normal, but there's a time when we pray beyond into what God would seek to do in someone's soul or in a situation that, that kind of surpasses the momentary affliction. Make sense. 
Paul prays these things. Look at the Paul, the prayer of Paul's like Paul in Ephesians. This is why I pray for you. This is why I thank God for you. This is why I do this for you. I pray for you in this way, in this manner that you would have these things done in you. Do we pray like that? So here, Jesus again is praying according to the father's will verse 43. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. And Peter, James and John's are asleep again. This time it says that their eyes were heavy. Luke twenty-two forty-five 45 says that they were heavy with sorrow. How many of you are musicians and you are driven by emotions? Okay. Me, you, you three, four, okay. Four of us, the rest of you are robots. You could only listen. Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow, exceeding to the, to the point of death. And the three disciples were experiencing sorrow of their own. Luke 22 tells us that they were asleep because of sorrow. The disciples responded. How? to their sorrow. They went to sleep. How did Jesus respond to his sorrow? He went to prayer, flesh, spirit. What do you do? Ask yourself, am I ruled by my emotions? Do I let my emotions, how I feel dictate about Spiritual matters, just to say, by the way, don't, I don't separate spiritual matters from life. Life is a spiritual matter, but I'm just trying to throw it into a category that we kind of understand. Emotions can play a huge factor in temptation. We have all experienced it as yourself. Am I, am I ruled by my, am I ruled by my emotions? Do we, do we let our feelings make our decisions, especially when it comes to following the Lord I don't want to pray. I don't feel like praying. I don't want to go to home fellowship. I don't want to go to church. I don't feel like it. I'm tired. Oh, that's me. That's not you. I don't want to preach this morning. I don't want to lead worship. I don't want to sing songs. I don't want to have to try to motivate people to be spiritual. I don't want to have to try to get you guys to be alive. I, 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 me feel blah, 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 blah. That's depressing. Isn't it? Instead of going, Lord, I can't do a thing. (laughs) I'm going to follow you today. I'm going to watch you work as you lay it out before me and watch your spirit do something through your word and reinvigorate the hearts of your people. Something I can never even touch or do because apart from you, I can do nothing, but through you, I can do all things. Just be obedient and follow him. Watch the fruit happen. Big difference. One will kill you and weigh you down and one will give you life. Emotions cannot be allowed to take the driver's seat. The disciples allowed them to take, and they were asleep at the wheel. Verse 44 real quickly. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time. Notice that Jesus prayed three times. Peter slept three times. Peter denied Jesus three times. Correlation there. Jesus said, watch and pray lest you enter temptation. Peter didn't. So Matthew's account says that Jesus didn't even wake them the third time. I can't remember if the other account said they did or not. But I just find that interesting. I think God lets us go to sleep sometimes. 
Someone can look that up for me. Well, Jesus went back to prayer, regardless of what they were doing. Verse, and it's saying the same words again. So he prayed the, the prayer. Verse 44 says, Luke says that as Jesus was praying that third time, an angel from heaven strengthened him. Just like when Jesus was in the temptation, an angel came and divinely strengthened him. How many of you have sought God in prayer to the point where he strengthens you spiritually? I would say that most of us never experienced that. And it's not hard to get to. My saying is if we're leveling up, but I mean, we don't even give prayer a thought. We go to other things because we're so ruled by other things. I'm talking about my own experience sometimes, you know, so we don't even persevere for an hour in prayer so that God might strengthen us in spirit spiritually. So we have power, spiritual power within over temptation. Does that make sense? Like I want to encourage you this week identify your emotional kind of like garbage that you run into and, and the things that rule you. And, and when you want to go to sleep or you want to go eat or you, whatever you want to do, go to prayer, pray for set of timers at 15 minutes. Let's start there. Ding. You know, I'm not trying to get you on a work schedule. I'm just saying, seek the Lord in prayer, seek him and set, make him your go-to make him your strong tower, run into him and watch him strengthen your soul. He's faithful. He won't, he doesn't not lying. He'll strengthen us as we pray. The angels are ministers, spiritual ministers of the spirit, basically, or spiritual ministers, whatever you want to call them. They're spiritual beings sent to, to minister to those who will inherit salvation. And I think there's a dynamic there. When we pray, there's a spiritual strengthening that happens. And I don't know how it all works, but I know that God strengthens us if we seek him, that's where life is in him. Encouraging you this morning giving you kind of be aware of the minefield that we set for ourselves. And then, and, and then we blame it on God, why things don't work out. And he's like, it's right here. Don't go after flesh, go after spirit. Right. And so give it a chance. <laughs> Peter and James John should have been awake and praying, but they fell asleep together. Notice they were three of them, but they all fell asleep. We can be asleep as a church. We can be asleep as a home fellowship, as a family. So Luke also says this time that Jesus was praying earnestly and his sweat became great drops of blood. That's pretty wild. There's a spiritual pressing verse 45. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinner rise and let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. Jesus says the time of your sleep is over. The Lord desired that they would be spiritually ready and spiritually awake at this moment. And they were not. And we're going to see what happens and while they were still speaking. Verse 47, Jesus, Judas came one of the 12 and, and with him, a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying the one I kiss is the man sees him. And he came to Jesus at once and said, greetings rabbi. And he kissed him, you know, the ultimate betrayal, uh, Luke 22, 48, Jesus turns to, P, uh, to Judas and said, will you betray me with a kiss? You know, it's the greeting. It's the sign of friendship in that culture. And so verse 50, Jesus said to him, friend, uh, what you came to do, do, you know, then, then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Well, it's at this point right before then that John's gospel in John chapter 18 tells us that he said, Jesus is saying, who are you seeking? 
They say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. When he says, I am he, ego in me, the name of God, so to speak, I am that I am translated in the Greek. They all fell down. They all fell backwards. This happens twice, I think, in John's gospel. Listen, Jesus is in control of the moment. But what happens is Peter looks at that and he goes, yeah, now's the time. Verse 51. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. John tells us it's Peter. John totally calls out Peter. <laughs> like, yeah, it was Peter. Who else did you expect? Cut off Malchus's ear. It's the, guy, the, the, the high priest servant. Jesus immediately, Luke 22 takes, you know, I don't know if he pops his ear back on, but he heals his ear immediately. And he turns to Peter, verse 52 said to him, Peter, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. He was in the flesh. He was thinking in the flesh. He was translating the moment through fleshly eyes. Peter was misinterpreting the moment. Put your sword away, Peter. Jesus says for all who take the sword will perish the sword. This is Genesis nine, six. Don't you don't want to That's not how we live. God is not called the Christians to vigilantism. That's not us. He's not called us to be the enactors of his wrath. That's not our role. That's not our place. That's his place. Okay. That's, that's not our, that's not our calling. We warn people of, of his judgment, but we're not the, we're not the judges. Peter was thinking in the flesh and, and didn't understand what the reality of the situation was. In verse 53, Jesus says to Peter, do you think that I can't appeal to my father and he will not at once send me more than 12 legions of, of angels? Listen, an angel, a Roman, a Roman legion with 6,000 soldiers or somewhere around there. So 72,000 angels, maybe. Do you think I can't, I, I've got backup. I'm good. Peter, thank you very much for your assist. In second Kings 1935, a single angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. He's good. There are serious ramifications when we are prayerless and watchless. We can so often rely on the wrong sword. And our witness to the world is horrible. We start cutting with the wrong sword folks. And Jesus says, put away your sword, Peter. You don't know what you're doing. You haven't been praying. You haven't been watching. And now you think, because I say I am he, and they all fall down, that that's an attack signal. No, it's saying I'm in command. This is God's will. I'm going to willfully surrender myself as the son of God to these people. This is how it plays out. And he says there in verse 55 to end it, it says at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me day after day? I sat in the temple teaching you and you did not seize me. You've had ample opportunity. You're coming out in secret. He's exposing their hypocrisy. But verse 55, all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. 
This is exactly what God said, what he had been telling the disciples all along that he'd be betrayed and put in the hands of sinners. He was going to the cross. They were not listening. And then all the disciples did what? They left. They fled just as he said. Prophecy came true. Zechariah's prophecy. So why did the disciples deny Jesus? What was it? Their lack of desire. Their spirit was willing, but their flesh was weak. I have no doubt as I have known you and you know me that we love the Lord. We want to follow him. Amen. We want to do right by him. I look at you guys and I, I see people who love Jesus. I look at each of you. I watch your lives and I see you following him and loving him. Without a doubt. I love you guys. We got an enemy within our flesh and we can't accomplish anything apart from the power of the spirit within us. So we need to learn. Let Jesus teach us to watch and pray. Will you do that with me? Because whatever he wants to do through us is not going to be done through our great intentions it has to be done in the spirit. So more prayer, less flesh, more watching, less sleeping. Amen. We're in trying times. The moment's coming upon us. Are we going to be asleep? We'll see. Amen. And so this week we have a, we, we need to reflect on this, but I also want you to reflect on Psalm 118, which is the counterbalance to that man, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. His loving kindness endures forever. He's going to gather these sheep together in Galilee and he's going to strengthen their spirit. And Peter is going to stand in the front of the same people that he denied Jesus in front of and preach a message, not in the power of his flesh, but in the power of the spirit. And thousands are going to come to Christ. What's the difference? Peter took a class. Peter willed it to happen. God just acted on his heart. May he act on our hearts. You know what I mean? And maybe we respond and give them glory. Love you guys. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I am thankful for you. I'm really thankful for you. Love you so much. Father, we are thankful for you. Thank you for your precious word. Oh Lord, we fall short. We like your servant, Peter, our captain foot and mouth. <laughs> and so Lord, the spirit is willing. Teach us to crucify the flesh and just to trust in the spirit, trust in you. Teach us to watch and pray this week and give us opportunities. Speak to the hearts of your people. Speak to us, God, in that moment of temptation to go the other way. I'm going to pray instead or to call one another, whatever it is you've called us to do. Strengthen us. May your will be done. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Amen.